Hey guys and girls, welcome back to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. I'm your host, Roman Segal, and in today's episode, I'm going to be talking with Howard Berman, who is CEO and chairman of the board at Coya Therapeutics. And if my sound is really good, it's because I have a cool new microphone. If it's terrible, let me know and I will throw it in the trash and get a new one. So who is Howard? Well, Howard co-founded Nikoya Health in 2020 to realize the vision and research of Dr. Stanley Appel and merged the company with Coya Therapeutics in 2021, where he currently serves as chairman and CEO. He has over 20 years of entrepreneurial and industry experience working at the interplay of science and business. His experience offers him a unique combination of business acumen and scientific credibility with the ability to assess, quantify, and bridge both disciplines. He gained corporate experience with increasing responsibility at positions at Medical Science Liaison at AbbVie, where he spent seven and a half years launching uh, Venta Oclex in CLL and later supporting numerous solid tumor assets. He also served in the leadership roles at Novartis Pharmaceuticals and Eli Lilly, where he was scientific point of contact between the company and key opinion leaders for the development and initiation of collaborations, clinical trials, and investigator-initiated trials. As always, thank you for listening, and don't forget to subscribe and rate, and please enjoy today's show. Hey, Howard, welcome to Molecule to Market. Thank you, Roman. Nice to be here on the show with you today. Yeah, great to have you, and I'm excited to tell your story, or, or for you to tell your story uh, to to our audience today. So, Howard, let's start at the start. Talk us through your journey, um, you know, through the various roles that you've got up to kind of where you are today, and you've you've worked for, with some pretty you know renowned businesses on your journey. So, love you to give our listeners some of the backstory. Sure. Well, I started my career. By doing a PhD in neuropharmacology at the Weill Cornell, which is in New York City. And from there, I moved into the big pharmaceutical industry and I worked at a number of companies, things companies like Eli Lilly, Novartis, AbbVie. And I really honed my skills in understanding the drug development process, the interactions with the FDA how the FDA thinks about drug development and approvals, and also how the managed care system works in terms of payers. And all of this experience gave me a great amount of insight and enjoyment to see drugs that are that can be meaningful for patients, particularly patients with diseases that have a high unmet need. So that experience was, uh, I think, monumental, but it also translated to where I am today. So one experience when I was at AbbVie, I was taking my father in for an appointment for a neurology appointment. He, he was unfortunately had a cognitive dysfunction and his uh, he was having memory loss. So I got him in to see one of the top neurologists in the country. And it was through that experience that I met Dr. Stan Appel, who is a world-renowned expert. And Dr. Appel, while of course there's no meaningful treatments for cognitive loss, 
asked me to meet him a week thereafter, which I did. And he showed me some data, which was remarkable in terms of his approach to treating these diseases. And he treated a disease, he treated the cell types called the regulatory T cells, which we can go into further later. And it was through that experience that we formed this company called Koya. And that's uh, now three years later, we're a public company and we're doing some exciting things in drug development. So we'll come back to Koya in in a few moments, but I suppose just reflecting on your background and, you know, it's incredible to look at some of the businesses that you worked at, you know, Novartis, AbbVie, Lilly. I suppose, I mean, for, as someone who hasn't worked in a big pharma company, how did you find the experience in the three of them in, in terms of how contrasting were they? Were they all quite the same in some respect of, you know, you're part of a big machine or did you see differences in culture and style and focus and that, you know, as an outsider, it'd be great to get a bit of an insight. I think from a macro level, they're very similar. I think all the big pharmaceutical companies are big, giant machines with many different cogs and you are a piece of that machinery and you act in your silo in order to get things done. So in that capacity, they're very similar. But they all have cultural differences. They all, <clears throat> some are more conservative than others. And it's sometimes a cultural aspect in terms of the country that the company is based in. But the there is a massive, uh, you know, this is a massive operation with large amounts of money being deployed in many different formats and silos. And so... You have tremendous amounts of resources at your fingertips in order to get the drugs developed and, of course, commercialized. It's funny that you mentioned something around resources, and you know, if you fast forward to where you are today in a you know clinical stage biotech, you know, as as the, one of the founders of the business, I'm guessing the contrast between the resources that you had then versus the resources you have now are completely different. <laughs> Is that a fair fair assumption? Uh, that is, it's not, yeah, it's a, more than an assumption. It's entirely correct. And <laughs> the, it's the reality. It's uh, the, the fact of the matter is that one has to learn to make your money go very far in a small biotech company. And you learn to be flexible and adaptive to your environment and your surroundings. It's, uh, sort of an, an evolutionary process, uh, very compressed in a short time period. Of, and so I think the experiences from pharma have been very useful. They've taught me a lot, but the experiences that you have in a small company are really a, it's an eye-opening experience. But fortunately, we've got great data, so it, it really supports and helps our cause. Yeah, which is which is great. And it is, it is you know, when I was looking at your background, you have this interesting combination of the big farmer experience and then almost entrepreneurial experience where you have, you know, run your own consulting business. You've been a founder of a digital health platform and then obviously now one of the founders of Koya. Where does that kind of entrepreneurial spirit within you come from? Because, you know, the observations from the outside are often, you know, if you work in a big pharma or big pharma companies for many years, you're almost institutionalized in a way of thinking, in a way of working, but you seem to 
break the mold slightly with your kind of own projects and companies that you're involved with? Yeah, I think the the thought is that you're born an entrepreneur and you're it's much harder to create an entrepreneur. I think you have the DNA of an entrepreneur and that's just uh, that resides as an innate quality. And that's that's what I have. I've always been like that. And it's strange because no one in my family is an entrepreneur. Everyone is a physician and everyone has their, you know, their rules by which they play and had living it safe, living it uh, in, in a traditional way. And that's just not the way that I've, I've been able to live my life. I, I like the excitement of creating and developing and I'm not afraid of taking chances calculated chances and using my experience to do so yeah good good for you and i think uh you know i'm always the one flying the flag for entrepreneurs so i uh i love the fact that you have that kind of uh, that spirit of the entrepreneur and then let's continue along that path and obviously your various roles that you've done um over the years have been you know of, of kind of giving you that foundation ultimately to start uh koya and, and what you're doing now talk us through you mentioned a little bit about your, I suppose, the, the entwined story with that neurology appointment with your father. But talk us through that founder, I suppose, founder story of starting the company. And what was that like? Because presumably, you know, you have to, it's a bit of a leap of faith, of course, but then you have to go out and get raise some funding for what you believe in. So, you know, you know for any of our listeners that have not been involved in the in the sector in terms of, you know, on the st- you know, on the side of founding and running a biotech company what is what is that early phase of the company like or what was it like well there's a lot of uncertainty and keep in mind there's a lot of steps that you need to go through and funding and getting money is not the first step you have to first of all understand and identify the right technology and the right drugs that have great commercial potential and it's not easy to find those there's a lot of white noise out there and there's a lot of science and technology that are that's not relevant to a commercial opportunity and and I think that's the hardest part. Once you find the right drug or therapeutic or technology or discovery, then you have to negotiate the licensing transaction with the entity which in our case was the university we were negotiating with. And then of course, you have to be able to afford the in-licensing. So most places require money up front and there's a large legal bill that associates with the negotiation. So sort of it's not, there's a the cart, there's the horse and the, you have to understand all of these things are happening on a parallel process. They're not happening sequentially. So th- you have to either put your own money or you have to raise money and then you have to raise more money once you have the technology because then you have to develop it and you have milestones you've got to meet. You've got to hire a team. You've got to hire a CFO and, and appropriate management in order to take this to the next step. So it's a, it's a whole process and it is not for the faint of heart and it's not for the meek. It's for people who are mission-driven and who, who truly believe in what they're doing. And for me, it was an easy decision because the mission here is neurodegenerative diseases. And seeing what I've been through with my own dad, seeing what other families are going through, it becomes it becomes not a difficult choice. 
Yeah. And and I appreciate the openness and honesty and I suppose vulnerability in sharing the story of, of your dad as well. Because I think, you know, one thing I was going to ask you there was that almost double click on what is the mission of the business. But obviously you've you've already hinted at that, which is, you know, it comes from a, a personal story. So you said something interesting and I always find this fascinating how you obviously, you, you know, there was license and agreement with the university and you mentioned how difficult it is to find the technology in the first place. I'm always... I admire, you know, biotech founders like yourself because I always think it must be like, you know, looking for a needle in the haystack, trying to identify the the technology that has the potential to to be developed and commercialized. So how do you even go about that? Like what does that process look like? Is it just utilizing contact? Is it, you know, Google searching? Is it looking at research papers? What does that process to actually identify a technology look like? Right. So in my circumstance, it was serendipity and it was sheer chance. Chance meets scientific diligence meets opportunity. And if someone's proactively looking for this sort of thing, it requires connections in the tech transfer space or in the company and in this company space. You can, you can poach products off of the shelf of big pharma who are not developing specific assets. You can look at tech transfer departments and universities who have assets that are under uh, leveraged by other companies or not identified as potential opportunities. And you have to also have the scientific know-how and expertise to do the due diligence, to understand the commercial potential, to understand the mechanism. So this is a multidisciplinary process. You have to have business know-how, business expertise, pharmaceutical R&D and know-how and knowing the FDA process. And most importantly, you have to understand the science. And you have to have some understanding of the, the basic science and what the trends in the field are. And once you do all of that, then you may have an opportunity. Yeah, it just I suppose it uh, underlines the the mosaic of aspects that you have to consider and go through as a as a founder. So talk us through the day to day life of running a clinical stage biotech. In my mind, you are you have to. Even if you've, you have a management team around you, a leadership team and a board of advisors, my assumption would be you have to wear so many different hats every single day. Is that, is that correct? You do. Yeah. You are, as a CEO, you're responsible for all aspects and functions of the business, the financial, the scientific, the clinical development, the personnel, and any issues that may arise. And I can tell you there's every day is unique. Every day is interesting. There's all sorts of things happening on a given day. And all and all parallel, then I am on calls with uh, vendors. I'm on calls with um, potential strategic partners. I'm on calls with investors. I'm, I'm on calls with podcasts like yourself. I'm on interviews with news stations. So every day is uh, sort of different, but it's very busy from start to finish. <laughs> I can imagine. And hopefully this is one of the highlights of your day and not one of the more difficult calls, <laughs> Howard. So uh, um, I've highlighted the name, the word vendor and I'm vendors, and I'm going to come back to that in a few moments. But before I do that, 
talk to us about Koya in terms of what does the company do? You know, talk to us about your pipeline as well, just to give our listener a bit of an overview of your kind of focus area from a therapeutic perspective, but also just, you know, what phase you're at with different assets and obviously whatever you're able to share that's within the public domain. Sure. So the company is a clinical stage company focused on biologics as our initial assets, biologics being proteins that can be administered, our ones can be administered through subcutaneous injections. So you can simply inject it into, into the arm, for instance, like an insulin injection. And the goal of them, these biologics, are to ramp up the regulatory T-cell function and to lower the amount of inflammation. And the regulatory T-cells, if you want to know from a basic biology perspective, they're, we call them the T-regs for sure. They are a master regulatory cell in your, in your body and they control the inflammatory process. And they allow, for instance, for to prevent your own body from attacking itself. That's typically their function. So they prevent autoimmunity. So unfortunately, what we've discovered in neurodegenerative diseases are the Tregs are not working properly. They're dysfunctional. They're uh, compromised. So We've also discovered that the amount of dysfunction of the T-Rex corresponds to the, the rate of uh, decline of many of these patients, uh, particularly in ALS, but we also see it in Alzheimer's disease. We see it in other neurodegenerative conditions. So our goal is to fix those T-Rex. And we've also discovered that by putting drugs that ramp up the T-Rex in combination with other drugs that suppress other components of inflammatory pathways, you're able to synergistically have an impact to lower inflammation and even have a better impact in these diseases, we believe. And so our goal here is much like in HIV and AIDS to with combination antiviral drugs or in cancer, where you combine many drugs, we're doing the same, we're using the same phenomenon in neurodegenerative disease to slow and stop the inflammatory process through different pathways. And uh, we've run two trials, one in, these were open label and these were proof of concept. And you know what? We stopped the progression. We essentially, in patients that were declining in ALS, we stopped their progression at six months and there was no meaningful decline at, at a year, which is remarkable using this, this combination of biologics. And so that's allowing us, and, and these drugs are, are, seem to be well tolerated and safe, and it's our goal is to take this into a phase two, and we hope to be a registrational or pivotal trial. We're going to power it for success, and that can be a meaningful outcome, hopefully within a year and a half or two years. You're listening to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector, the podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. And it's super exciting. And, you know, in terms of the work that you guys are doing and some of the results that you are seeing. And so you mentioned vendors before, and I wanted to highlight that and come back to it. Talk us through how you guys leverage the outsourcing space as part of your journey. You know, a relatively small 
I don't, I don't know if we class you as a virtual biotech because obviously you have a, 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 a team there, but a relatively small company. You know, my, my guess is that you, you know, have partners in different phases to help you. You know, whether it be, you know, research or testing or whatever that is. How do you get guys get the most of, of leveraging kind of vendors in that space? So yeah, we deal with a lot of vendors, and we're we're very conscientious of using our relationships, our existing partnerships our existing relationships. Uh, we want to make sure we deal with vendors who are well-priced but can provide uh, credible and reproducible uh, data and evidence, for example, for our toxicology work uh, that the FDA will use. So we're willing to pay more in order to get good information because if you have to repeat something, then you're going to be paying a whole lot more and you're going to be losing time. That's interesting. So if I understood that correctly, that kind of the importance of avoiding loss of time is is the key aspect ultimately. And I suppose getting things right first time and vendors that do that make your life a heck of a lot easier. A hundred percent. Yeah. Which is great. And within, you know, as you, you are scaling up into say phase two, do your, do your relationships with the outsourcing spitters, like kind of vendors, do they evolve during that period? Do you have to start looking for different ones, you know, whether it be manufacturing partners or, you know, what, what is, how does, how does the, I suppose the, your outsourcing strategy evolve when you are, when the, you know, the trial is showing success and the data is showing success and you are kind of moving forward into the next phase? I'm sorry, can you repeat that? Sure. Yeah. So as you guys kind of, you know, your products are moving through, the pipeline and you're having more and more success and you're scaling up does that does the nature of your relationships and the types of vendors that you rely on does that then evolve as part of that process as well well i think that as we as we ramp up and scale up we add on new vendors that can complement or that are required for the next steps of our journey and for example when we start our clinical trial right we have to engage vendors who are going to run our clinical trial. Uh, we have to engage the right statisticians. So the answer is it's an evolution. And But the original thesis that I mentioned earlier is you don't pay less just because you're trying to save money. Sometimes it's worth paying more to get the best organization to, to do your work because ultimately in the long run, it's going to save you a lot of my money and pain. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. That makes a lot of, a, a lot of sense. And then let's talk about the market generally. And in, in, I'm guessing, you know, obviously you guys have had a successful raise already and you, know, you can't help but miss the headlines in the, in the data at the minute. It's telling us that, you know, biotech funding is more difficult now than say it was a couple of years ago. How much, you know, as the CEO of a business that's in this space, how much does that play on your mind? How much is that, a, I suppose, a stress for you, uh, knowing that the capital markets are a bit trickier now than they were a while ago? Right. So the good news is that we've raised enough money that can get us through the first half of next year, which is good. But it gives us time. It gives us time to do deals and to get additional funding to support our, our journey way into the future. And I, I'm not concerned and I'm bullish because we are having very vigorous discussions with uh, strategic partners uh, who are very excited about our clinical data. They've seen the data. 
They think that what we're doing is unique and revolutionary in our approach. And um, I think we're at a point where uh, we are uh, putting ourselves in a position that will be beneficial for shareholders for the long run. And uh, so I think the, the whole capital macro environment is not, it's relevant, but it's, it doesn't concern me in our specific situation. Now, which is, which is really interesting to hear, actually, you know, I, my, my guess would have been that it's, it's something that probably plays on your mind, but given the, the fact that you've already raised money that takes you, you know, you've got a runway for a certain period of time, but also I suppose reading between the lines as well with some of the things you've said, Howard, like your confidence in what you're doing and the data that you're providing is almost, you, you're confident that this is going to work almost if that's a, if that's a fair, fair way of looking at this. I'm confident it's going to work. I'm, I'm confident also that we're, we're working with the right partners that, that are going to take us, that are going to help us uh, in the future. And so that confidence hopefully is exhibited by my, my bullishness and my, my, my tone of voice. But yes, I, I think that a lot of companies are suffering and they're in pain because capital markets are in disarray. But I think you have to put yourself in a position where you have the right relationships in order to not have to rely on the capital markets and not have to go out, raise money and get a bad deal that is not in your company or your shareholders' interest. Yeah, that's great. That's very interesting to hear. And you mentioned strategic partners. So how do you go about the strategic partnerships uh, piece? And we, we've had a few guests on recently, similar biotech positions that are, you know, they are either creating strategic partnerships with big pharma companies, uh, with actually with, in some cases, actually manufacturing companies, whether in as royalty payments paid on manufacturing, what, when you say strategic partners, what does that typically, what does that cover? You know, what types of stakeholders does that cover for you guys? Sure. Yeah, no, that covers, uh, we, when I talk strategic, I talk drug development. I'm talking pharmaceutical companies, yeah, companies that are developing drugs that are used by patients. Understood. Yeah, which is where I would have would have guessed that that's what you're uh, that that's what you meant by that. We've just uh, yeah, we've had some interesting guests who've talked about um, almost partnerships with other parties as, as they kind of scale up, which is uh, kind of quite interesting. And I wanted to ask you about, I suppose, as you're kind of scaling up and you're having more success, your data is being positive. Is does success for you, Howard, look like just getting? A drug to market and ultimately commercializing a drug product that you know that will be mission completed from your perspective well that's a difficult question to answer that absolutely in the long run yes but as a ceo of a, of a biotech company you you have to celebrate the little successes all along the way and there's a lot of successes if you if you want to wait until that to consider yourself a success there's going to be a lot of misery and so there are many milestones, many pathways where if you can if you can do X, Y, and Z, if you can sign a strategic partnership, that's success. If you can get your IND opened and start your clinical trial, that's a success. Get your first patient enrolled, that's a success. So I I will celebrate all of these, and each one of these will have innumerable benefits, innumerable benefits for the stock price, probably, and. Uh, we'll illustrate that we're able to execute and we're able to follow through on what our commitments are to the shareholders. 
Yeah, and I wondered, uh, I suppose, underline that for our listener. I mean, I, it, it's funny, I've literally just put a, a blog out around this exact subject, which is that, you know, people are so busy and like they often don't stop to celebrate the completion of projects or an achievement as a team. And I think you, you know, that, that phrase that you said, celebrate the little successes is so, so uh, accurate in terms of just taking the time to do exactly that with with the rest of the team, whatever that might may be. So I appreciate you kind of sharing the same sentiment that I absolutely agree with, which is fantastic. Let me ask you a question because my so my wife my wife used to work for a biotech company, and I remember she came home one day and said, uh, "You know, we're about to get our data read out." I can't remember what phase they were at, but it was you know everyone was on tender hooks in the business to to hear and see what the data readout was going to be. What what is what is it like when you are, or what does it feel like as a CEO when actually for your team where you're waiting for this data? And and in your case, obviously you receive the data and it's looking good. That must feel that must feel amazing when you see when you see, when you're seeing progress and success like that. It does. Uh, again, it's biotech. One never knows what what's going to happen in a double blind, randomized trial because you everyone's blinded to the results, and so you have to wait. And pray that the, or, you know, or, or just, no, I wouldn't say pray, but have confidence that your drug is working. But there's a lot of variables that come into play. The placebo, for instance, could respond better than you would have thought. There's many examples of that happening. Or the placebo could respond worse. So one never knows the variables or the things that you're, you can't control or one can't control. And so that is scary. Uh, with a big company, it's less scary because if something fails, then you've got many other drugs and pipelines and you've got huge amounts of resources. If you're a smaller company and you're waiting on the results, this could be the difference between a, a successful company and a not successful company. So there's degrees of, of fear and it depends on the situation and it depends on the scenario, but you have to be prepared as a CEO, you have to be prepared for all of that and you can't be afraid of it because if you're afraid of it, then choose another profession. Uh, but if you have confidence in your therapeutics, we have a tremendous amounts of confidence in the, the, the mechanism of our drugs and the combination. I mean, we, what we've seen in, in a small cohort is pretty remarkable. And we, th- we believe we're going to reproduce that. But it gives us enough room in a double-blind study in order to have a better you a placebo that performs better because our the the earliest efficacy is so good so when you're when you're like that you have a sort of a area to um not have to uh you not have to worry as much about that's great that and i think that that kind of um bullishness again uh, around what, what that confidence piece i think is is really interesting and you 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 kind of exude that, which is which is exactly what you'd want <laughs> from a CEO of a of biotech company. And I know we're nearly out of time now. So, final kind of question: I suppose if I look at someone like yourself, Howard, who's had great success in your career, and you've been through different, uh, I suppose, chapters in terms of big pharma and starting your own business and being the CEO of a biotech. You know, if if anyone's listening who is considering kind of pursuing a career or starting, you know, a biotech career from, you know, instead of, you know, for 15, 20 years experience in the sector, what, what are some of the kind of 
kind of lessons or learnings or qualities that you would you would advise that person or you know or would you just put them off and say don't do it it's a it's a nightmare um or are there certain things that you would say really consider x y and z if you want to go down this route and you know start the biotech you know and try and get funding and identify the technology and all the things that you said previously yeah well i would never tell someone not to do it i would say have these sorts of characteristics have passion is number one passion for the disease passion for the process and passion to to create something have resilience uh, because it's not going to be an easy road and you're undoubt- undoubtedly going to achieve failure along the way or you're going to be kicked down and you have to be resilient. You have to get back up and, and go on. Have confidence. You have to believe in yourself. If you are unsure of yourself or you don't, you don't know... If you can do this, people can feel that and they can smell it. And it's going to be very hard to raise money around it. So you have to take all of these things and understand that it's going to be a journey. It's going to be a process. And you have to stick with it and surround yourselves with people who have been there and done that before if you've not been there and done that before. But it's well worth it. And I can tell you, there's not a lot of people who can do this and do it successfully. So, uh, if you have the if you have the temerity, if you have if you're brave and you have the the willingness to stick with something, then it's a very rewarding experience. Yeah, and I think that's a that's a great way to end today's interview. As I think you know, covering some pa- key points around passion and resilience and, and willingness. And I think you know, I think what's really interesting about today's conversation how it is i think you for many of our listeners who work in the sector either you know within biotech companies lower down if you like it within the organizations or uh, you know elsewhere in the the supply chain you know on the vendor side as well and that you've lifted the lid on the reality of of running a, a clinical stage biotech company and some of the considerations and characteristics required on that journey so i really appreciate your your openness, your honesty, and uh, you know, passion for sharing, I think, is is really great. So, thank you so much for for being a guest on on Molecules Market. Thank you, it's a pleasure. And that was Mr. Howard Berman, who is CEO and Chairman of the Board at Koya Therapeutics. I always think it's great to get that level of insight from someone running a drug development company, particularly one at the clinical stage, just to get a feel for, I suppose, the startup nature in all the hats that a CEO in such a company has to wear really is quite fascinating. And, you know, for many of you in the vendor space, it just shows you when you're trying to read to these people uh, <laughs> what what they're having to deal with, uh, you know, at their end. I mean, I suppose if I reflect on today's conversation, some of the things that I took back, I really thought he was he was very vulnerable in terms of the way he talked about his his father's story and that neurology appointment and how that ultimately led to the focus on neurodegenerative diseases. I think it was very open of him to talk about that, and I think it just shows you why Koya is such a mission driven company because that's where 
uh, the company had come from. Um, given his big pharma experience, um, he has obviously he's got he's certainly got that polished corporate nature about him, but you can definitely sense that kind of entrepreneurial, that kind of resilient and uh, you know that kind of harsh characteristic of being pretty hardened to what a biotech CEO needs to do within him that comes across really really clearly today. Uh, and, uh, and his answer at the end about talking about not putting people off starting biotech companies, but being prepared for a, a tough ride w- was great. I suppose the contrast to that, and one thing I really loved what he said today was that kind of, you know, celebrating the little successes. You know, I, ca- I can't even imagine what running a biotech must be like. And, you know, it's such a long slog ultimately to get a product to market and your chances of doing so are very, very unlikely. So you have to celebrate the successes along the way, which I think he covered really, really well across uh, today's interview. And the other thing, which, you know, I suppose just reflecting back on the combination, on, on the conversation uh, today, was just very much the insight around identification of technology and strategic partnerships. And these are some of the things that we hear that are key to biotechs in building their business models and not trying to in-house everything. But I think it was really great having someone talk about that in quite a lot of detail. In addition, of course, to their technology and their platform and I suppose some of the things they're doing with, I suppose, combinations and taking inspiration from uh, antiviral drugs as well, which I thought was, was fascinating. So yeah, another another great guest and I hope you uh, took lots of notes and took a lot from today's interview with Howard. So thanks always to my team for helping me pull today's podcast together. If you like today's episode or the podcast in general, please like it wherever you're listening. Give us a nice kind rating and share it with a colleague or a contact in the industry. Hi again. Thanks for tuning in to today's show. I really hope you enjoyed the episode. For more shows, have a look on Spotify, Apple, or Amazon wherever you like to listen and do make sure that you subscribe so the next episode comes direct to your device automatically and please get in touch via our website at molecule to market pod or via linkedin or twitter we love to hear from you so if you have a guest that you want to suggest or someone in your organization that you think would make a great guest on molecule to market then please let us know we'll see you very soon You're listening to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector, the podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. Molecule to Market is sponsored and funded by Remarketing, an international content, digital and design agency that helps companies get noticed, raise profile and generate leads in life sciences.